Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Hey there, Shell. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Halloween is coming. I know. Do you have any like special plans? No. (laughs) No. I mean, I love giving out candy to the kids. So Mm -hmm. I look forward to it. I spend a lot of money on candy. Try not to eat it all before Halloween. (laughs) It never works. I I know. I'm a sucker for some of it. My kids, like, well, our kids are older now. So, right. It kind of takes some of the fun out of Halloween when they're like older. It does. I mean, not for us, not for them. They go off with their friends and just have a ton of fun. Right. But it's not the same as getting them all ready when they're little. Mm -hmm. And taking all the cute pictures. (laughs) I know. I know. Brooke wants me to do um, like a costume this year. So I picked out, oh my gosh, I'm totally, you know, the movie Monsters Incorporated. Yes. Okay. It's a little green monster. Sully. Is that his name? No, that's Which it's Mike or Sully? Which one's Mike and which one's Sully? Mike is the big one. Sully. Okay. Oh, wait, no, no, wait a minute. No, no. Uh, I, I think Mike's the green it. one. Yeah, I think maybe. Either way, Sully is, Sully is this with the big one. Yeah. So yes. I'm going to be the green one. And I found like a tutorial on how to make the costume. So I'm excited because I'm a dork. Oh, I love it. Good for mm. you. This week, we are talking with Casey from Eat Well Together. She's a registered dietitian, and she's going to be talking to us about diabetes and nutrition during pregnancy. Ah, very good. Yeah, because I'm seeing so much more, so many more cases of like gestational diabetes and not like a lot of education around it. Huh. um, I think this is an important topic. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. But first, let's do our favorite of the week. Alrighty. Do you want me to go first this time? Sure. Okay, but you can't laugh at me. <laughs> I'm already laughing. What is it? <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Oh, get out of town! <laughs> yeah. I did not I realize that this show has been on the air for like crazy long Ever? time. Right. Yeah, for like 20 years or something like that. Oh yeah. Easily, yeah. maybe longer. I don't know. Yeah, I never watched it. And what happened was, I have this friend on Facebook who it's like, I guess she watches it like over and over again, and she keeps uh-huh. up with it. And she's always posting like her rants about the characters. And after a while, I was like, I have to go check this show out. Oh, that's a hoot. Mm-hmm. So I just have it on while I'm charting. Yeah. Like, it is that kind of show that you don't have to like focus too much. Mm hmm. So I'll put it on when I'm charting and it is like, I'm, I'm liking it so far. It's kind of like a more dramatic ER, like, uh, like more of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Soap opera ish. Yeah. Than yeah. ER. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, it's okay. I'm going to see how it goes. Good. Mm-hmm. I think my daughters have each watched it. They've 
watch and watch and watch. Yeah. I've watched the ER several times through. The problem is once you start working in the medical field, (laughs) you just get all pissed. You're like, that's not what we do. Yeah. And you're like, (laughs) what the hell? Why are you in the OR with no mask on? Like, I'm not trying. What are you coming to to her with nail clippers for? It's not a thing. And there's always like, because I've gone through ER several times, I've watched House several times. Yeah. And now Grey's Anatomy. And in every like medical show, on all three shows, there's like common episodes. Like there's always one of the characters that gets like involved in a holdup at a store <laughs> and has to save everybody. Right. <laughs> there's always the a character. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, here's that episode for this right. show. And then there's always <laughs> a character that gets so like a main character that gets so mangled that when he comes into the hospital, you don't even recognize him and then he dies. Right. I'm like, this happened before <laughs> different shows. It's like, okay, this is a common theme. There's always, you know what I mean? It's just like yes. this, this would this is not how real life works, but it's much right. more entertaining. So right. That's a huge during COVID, sometimes it can work like that. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's a hope. What about you? Well, I watched this a adorable movie on Netflix and it's a movie it's a couple hours long it's called the starling Mm -hmm. and I love um, Melissa McCarthy and she is the main character in the movie and I just think everything that she's ever been and I just always want to see because I just adore her and so she was the main character and interestingly one of the actors the police officer and bridesmaids that she worked with was her partner is the her partner in this uh, movie it's her husband so it's it's a simple movie it's not super deep it's not super anything but it's just dear it's just a sweet little it's sweet I cried the first five minutes it was it was very good. And I told my daughter to watch it. She was like, I just finished it. It's adorable. I wouldn't say it's like the best movie I've ever seen, but it's good. It's adorable. Is it? It's not comedy, right? If you're no. going through it. Right. Okay. <laughs> Can you give right. us like a brief summary of what it's about? Um, it is about loss, um, relationship, um, uh, and a bird. That's all I'll give you. <laughs> All right, we'll take a it. Starling. <laughs> yeah, watch like, it. It's the way sweet. that you're talking is like how Netflix recommends movies to us. Like, you're like, <laughs> because you watch Jurassic Park, you might like this movie. Right. It's like, what right, you exactly. I think yeah. Netflix has like the worst algorithm <laughs> of the companies out. You're like, I would never freaking watch that. What are you I'm talking like, about? I am not interested right. in this at all. Exactly. I think Netflix needs to take some lessons from TikTok. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, so the Starling and Grey's Anatomy. We just gave you all some good things to watch. Yeah. <laughs> While you're yes, nursing your did. baby at 2 Let us know how it goes. Yes. yes. So let's move on to our question of the week. All right. So this week's question is how to keep up your supply while pregnant. Ah, so we tandem feeding. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. Unfortunately, there really isn't a way. Unfortunately, it's what just was that? there really isn't a way to right. keep up. Your milk is going to just go back to colostrum because your body's going to prioritize prioritize the baby that you're growing. 
And so probably around like week 20 or later, um, your milk will start to turn back into colostrum. And some kids will, you know, depending on the age of the baby, some kids, some babies don't mind or kids don't mind. Like if your first is a toddler, um, the toddler might not mind and keep nursing throughout the pregnancy. If you let them, if you want to, um, and even tandem nurse when your second milk comes back in with your next baby. But if you're talking about, you know, if the baby you're breastfeeding right now is under a year old, you're probably going to need to start to think about supplementing with formula. Right. Because there's just no way it's just hormones. It's just what your body's going to do. And there's really nothing we can do about it. Right. Yep. But congratulations on your pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And congratulations for wanting to continue to nurse with the new pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if your baby is under a year old and you do end up having to give formula, it doesn't mean you have to stop putting them on the breast either. Like if if you're enjoying breastfeeding still and they're enjoying it, you could always breastfeed and then top off with formula. And then maybe when your second milk does come back in with your new baby, they will continue to breastfeed. Right. Yeah. Depending on, it just depends on the age and where, how far into pregnancy you are. Yeah, it really does. That's a great question. (laughs) It really is a good question. We always get good questions. I know. And well, if you we, have a great question, you can submit it to us on Instagram, Shelly Taft, IBCLC. Um, and next up, we're going to be talking with Casey. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health. I'm so excited to announce this week's guest, Casey Seiden from Casey Seiden Nutrition. Casey is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified diabetes care and education specialist. She specializes in nutrition during pregnancy with a focus on gestational diabetes. Welcome, Casey. Hi, Shelly. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that intro. Um, Yeah, to go a little bit deeper. So I am a dietitian working and specializing in women's health and prenatal nutrition. Um, I kind of have two sides to what I do. I'm employed at a OBGYN practice here in New York City. And so there I mostly see women um, kind of in all stages of pregnancy. So preconception, pregnancy, and a little bit postpartum as well. Um, You know, for any type of nutrition related pregnancy issue, whether that's morning sickness, hyperemesis, um, GI issues, and then certainly um, gestational diabetes is a big focus of what I do there. And then I still um, see clients privately on my own where that's also a big focus is still that gestational diabetes work. Um, but even following women, um, a bit more closely for longer periods of time in their preconception and postpartum journeys as well. That's awesome. I wish there was a nutritionist in every OB's office in practice. 
Seriously, it's it's very very needed. Um, there's a I love our doctors so much, and they cover amazing and so many details in pregnancy. Uh, but they just don't have the training or the knowledge or the time to dedicate to nutrition, which is so essential at that phase of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lactation consultants feel the same way. Like OBs are great, but they can't screen for risk factors for low milk supplies, stuff like that. Yeah, so true. Can you, for anyone who's not aware, what is gestational diabetes? Sure. So this is, I know when you hear the word diabetes, it sounds really scary. Um, This is a form of diabetes that is first discovered in pregnancy, meaning there was no signs that you had it prior to becoming pregnancy or in your first or second trimester. For everyone in pregnancy around 26 weeks, the placenta starts to produce this surge of hormones that can make mom very insulin resistant, um, meaning she's unable to lower her blood sugars appropriately. And so she becomes also like carbohydrate intolerant. She can't maybe eat the same portions or types of carbohydrate foods as she was used to having before. And and what happens if the blood sugar is not under control? Like if this is like not diagnosed or it's missed somehow, what are some of the complications that can arise? Yep. Good question. So if blood sugars remain elevated, then a few things can happen for mom and baby. Um, This might put mom at a higher risk for preeclampsia or preterm birth, if she's planning on, um, the big complication is really the baby then is kind of taking that extra sugar from mom, turning it into nice cushy body fat and baby is growing maybe a little bit too large too quickly, um, which could lead to that risk of preterm birth. And then during birth, if she's planning to have a vaginal delivery, potentially the larger baby can kind of get stuck in the birth canal and have more shoulder dystocia, we call it, um, or increased bleeding or tearing for mom or risk of needing to have an emergency C-section if baby is possibly getting kind of too stressed in that environment, unable to regulate their sugars. So those are just a few of the kind of complications if the blood sugars aren't well controlled. And is there any other effect for the baby after the birth? Like, let's say the birth goes smoothly and there aren't any complications there. I know at my facility, it's policy to check baby's blood sugar for at least 24 hours after the birth. So why, if it's the mom with the diabetes, why are they checking the baby's blood sugar too? Yep, absolutely. That can feel really confusing. Um, What happens is once the baby is born and we cut the cord, there is no more glucose coming to the baby and their body this whole time has been producing extra insulin to lower their own blood sugars. But upon at birth, they don't sense that right away. So they could still be making insulin and then plummet their blood sugars. They could become hypoglycemic. So that's why you would, you know, want to check it constantly. They might need to have like a little glucose to raise their blood sugar levels, things like that. Is there anything else they can do for it besides glucose? That's a good question. I don't know that side of it, actually. That's the only thing I've heard. Okay. I know at my facility, they use like glucose gel, but they'll also, um, and I don't, I have mixed feelings about this, but they will also, um, like if it's a breastfeeding baby, they will also give it a little bit of formula with the glucose gel. Um, I know other facilities just use the glucose gel. I know if, if you knew anything like volume had to be introduced right away, or if it was just the glucose that was important. Yeah. I think it's more the glucose that's important. Um, because again, if it's formula or even if it's breast milk or like if it's, you know, colostrum or something, that's just so high in fats and proteins, it's not going to raise the blood sugars maybe in a safe accelerated way that we want it to come up. So that might be why there's differing procedures. Mm -hmm. 
And then after the birth, what's, what's the lasting impact on the mom? Yeah. So, you know, once she delivers the placenta, gestational diabetes is very hormonally driven, like I said, from the placenta. So blood sugars will probably return back to normal pretty quickly. Um, so what's recommended and often not followed through, unfortunately, but super important is to return to your OB around that six to eight week postpartum visit mark um, to complete a follow-up glucose test, because this is a part of their medical history now. You know, it puts someone, if it's a mom and baby to an extent at a higher risk for type two diabetes in their lifestyle. So doing the follow-up glucose test and then a yearly or every other year, hemoglobin A1C, which is a blood sugar average, um, doing that with your primary care doctor um, on a regular basis to make sure everything is in order. Okay. And I just have to say, because of who I am, if you are breastfeeding, that does reduce your risk of developing diabetes later in life. So that's another thing that you can do to help kind of prevent that. Absolutely. Yes. I will always encourage that, uh, which is huge breastfeeding, maintaining a healthy diet and movement in the postpartum period helps significantly. So if a parent develops gestational diabetes, does this mean that they have to get insulin? Like what kind, what's the kind of the plan that you set up for them? Yeah, we definitely, you know, in my practice, at least I'm not jumping to insulin right away. Even if someone starts out monitoring and we're seeing some of their, you know, readings are a little bit elevated. I'm always going to go to diet lifestyle factors. What can we do there first? Um, and I would say probably 85 to 90% of my patients are able to control it just with diet and lifestyle. The um, daytime numbers that are most influenced by food and our movement, um, people can usually regulate that. This, the tricky one starts to become their fasting blood sugar levels. And this is one that's uh, very often driven by those placental hormones. It's driven by the time that you spend fasting. So sometimes there's just not a lot we can do about it. Um, and in those cases, you know, if we start to see that it's persistently elevated, then medication would be a discussion in, in my practice. Again, our first line approach is usually insulin because we know it's super effective, can be very individualized. There are oral medication options, um, but they, they have some cons that come with them. And I would say most of the parents in my practice that um, put down that they had gestational diabetes during pregnancy also put down that it's diet um, managed and not insulin managed, which is good. That's great. So when you're working with a parent who has gestational diabetes, like what kind of foods are you, I'm sure it's like individual to a certain extent with each parent, but are there like general guidelines that you like to give parents? Mm -hmm. There is a lot of trial and error for sure, but basic premise is kind of zooming out and looking at your meals and your snacks as you build them. So if gestational diabetes means you're carbohydrate intolerant, then that group, your grains, your starchy vegetables, fruits, things like that, they're not, we don't want them to take up half of your plate. We really want to keep them to kind of a quarter of your plate. And then we're going to fill up the rest of the plate with half being vegetables, non-starchy things, all your leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, all that good stuff. And then the other quarter being some kind of dense uh, protein. I'm, you know, a fan of animal proteins um, for pregnancy for many reasons, but definitely for blood sugars. We can certainly manage blood sugars, even following a, a vegetarian or vegan diet. I've had plenty of patients do it successfully, just a little bit trickier. And you want to work with someone to figure that out. Um, but, but it really comes down to choosing a wide variety of foods and then having them in balance. If we have our carbohydrates on their own, um, then blood sugars are going to go up. So always trying to give it uh, a buddy. I like to say with some protein or fat or other fiber to kind of prevent those blood sugars from spiking too much. I love that. Giving it a buddy. I think that's yeah. such a cute analogy. <laughs> they need a best friend. Mm-hmm. 
And do they have to like, are they, are they told not to have any snacks or you mentioned fasting for a little, for a second there. Did you mean that you encourage them to fast where they should just have eat at certain times of day? Or um, do you, are you saying, are you telling them like in general, you can snack and eat when you want? Yeah. Big fan of the snacks over here. Um, the fasting one is really, we're only talking about that overnight fast. So kind of, yeah, just, just that period fasting during the day. Definitely not. Um, it's actually pretty helpful to space out your meals and snacks every three to four hours ish. Um, we want to avoid going very long periods of time without eating because that could actually drive blood sugars up for a variety of reasons through hormones and, and whatnot. So kind of doing three meals, kind of having your three solid meals and then two or three snacks, depending on the person's appetite, other issues they might be dealing with reflux or nausea or something. Um, and you'll often hear it in the gestational diabetes world talking about the bedtime snack, which can be a very helpful tool. If you are having trouble with the fasting blood sugar in the morning, that bedtime snack can be crucial. So if you hear people saying, Oh, don't eat after a certain time. No, no, no you want to have a bedtime snack sometimes. So that's a okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you think, um, and I'm seeing them mostly, I'm seeing families mostly after they've had their baby. So this is a very common thing for the postpartum period, but during pregnancy, do you find in, in, in like today's society that it's all well and good for a parent to want to have like a healthy meal with kale and all those other foods that you mentioned, but they're having trouble like finding the time to food prep or to cook. And you know, they're used to just getting takeout or whatever. Do you find that? Or do you find that that's more common after the baby arrives? No, 100%. I mean, I live in New York city where, you know, so many of my patients are (laughs) not chefs. They are not cooking. They don't use their kitchens for cooking. Um, So they're ordering out a lot. So this is a very common discussion I will have. And we bring it back to creating balance, right? If you like Thai food um, or some kind of Asian cuisine, you know, can we do a rice or a noodle dish, but let's look at the sides or the appetizers. Is there some extra vegetables or some extra protein dish that we can get to go along with it? Maybe we can't tolerate the same whole noodle dish that you used to. Um, but guess what? You can just stretch that noodle dish over two to three meals and still enjoy it. But we're going to really reinforce adding those other foods to balance your blood sugars. Um, so takeout's okay. There's lots of other, you know, yeah, shortcuts, frozen things. I mean, frozen veggies, frozen meatballs, pre-cooked grains, all of that stuff can work in this diet, you know, when you're, when you're short on time. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the pre-sliced and chopped vegetables too, because that just takes so much time, at least for me, <laughs> to like just chop up a vegetable. And, but if you buy them like pre-chopped up, it's it's really easy to just make a quick salad and throw everything in there. You don't really have to prep anything. Yeah, that's something I find really convenient too. And one thing I, I'll say a little bit in pregnancy, I'm slightly more hesitant just from a food safety perspective of some of those items. They can be some of those pre-packaged things the ones that you'll find on like a food born illness recall list a little bit more often than Mm -hmm. the other things that you can wash and chop yourself. Um, but the great thing, I love those salad kits, throw them in a saute pan if you can, right? Like heat it up, make it like a warm sauteed salad and have it with your leftover chicken or grilled shrimp or something like that. That's a good way to still cut down on time, but make it safe for mamas. You're making me hungry. (laughs) I know me too. (laughs) Can we 
go back. This is slightly off topic, but as someone who had hyperemesis through mm-hmm. all my pregnancy, um, and you know, I'm talking like in and out of the hospital at IVs oh. with my first, there was there was a long time where I could only keep um cereal down <laughs> out oh of all things. Gosh. But for, you know, especially in the beginning, I, I would not even be able to keep water down. Yeah. So what do you suggest in cases like that, like severe nausea and vomiting or hyperemesis? I have a lot of mamas who are dealing with that. It's tough. It's really, really hard. Um, hyperemesis is a special beast. Um, so it that's a lot more individualized and tailored work, I think. But let's say you're just dealing with more general, but still intense nausea, you know, even into your second, third trimester, um, or, well, I guess to clarify, are you specifically asking about how to manage that and gestational diabetes at the same time, or just the nausea on its own? I guess just the nausea on their own, but if you want to address both, that's fine. Well, they both apply because here's the thing. Nausea can be made worse by swings in blood sugar. A lot of the times. Gotcha. So I, you know, everyone, when you're, you have morning sickness or, you know, you're vomiting or something, you just want the carby foods. You want the crackers, toast, mashed potatoes, rice, something simple and bland. Those are all carbohydrate foods. So when we have those on their own, they can make blood sugars dip and spike, which can make the nausea worse. So I'm trying to encourage people to give it a buddy. If there's a way that you can smear a little bit of peanut butter on it or mash some avocado onto your toast um, or what else could you do? I mean, yeah, like sprinkling hemp seeds, chia seeds, like anything to give it protein or fat to go along with it can help a little bit. Um, those small frequent meals also remember, we don't want to go a long time for your blood sugars. We also don't want to go a long time without eating for nausea. So nibbling on things could be every hour. If that's what helps, you know, small little handfuls of something every hour or two would be the way to go. Yeah, that's a great idea. So it sounds like in general, just well-balanced blood sugars are going to help throughout your pregnancy with nausea, I guess, fatigue too. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. I did not enjoy being pregnant. Oh Thank goodness gosh. I am done with it. <laughs> that is just, sound, I, I feel for those women. I just watched the Amy Schumer documentary when she was like so sick in her pregnancy. And it was, it seems like a lot to go through that. You're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have someone who is having trouble keeping food down to the point where they're trying to eat the foods that you suggest, but they keep throwing it up, is that when, like, do you refer out at that point or do, are there other things that you try? Uh, I haven't worked with too many, anyone I've worked with individually is also being managed by their OB if they're pregnant, obviously. Um, so their OB, you know, at a point might say like, no, you maybe need inpatient care. You need IV hydration, or some people have home hydration. I've had some people be on like a Zofran pump. So it can become, you know, to a point where yes, we need medical help. Food and nutrition is not, I can't do anything necessarily. Um, it, it's, it's tough. So the, I think the IV hydration is like the next step for a lot of people when they can't tolerate anything to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and that's what I had to do. So I yeah. totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite suggested snack for, for pregnancy? Oh, a favorite. That's really hard. I mean, I'm a classic like fruit and nut butter type of person. So I love doing like an apple with peanut butter drizzled on, sprinkle some cinnamon on top and like maybe some chia seeds sprinkled on there too. Like I call them like apple nachos because that's what they end up looking at the end of the day. They look like nachos. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It sounds good too. 
yeah. And it, it feels like a, like a kiddo type of snack. And if you have kids, like that's a great thing for them to enjoy too. Mm-hmm. So after the baby is born, if a parent had gestational diabetes, like once the placenta is out, is it, uh, can they go back to eating the way they want? Like, is it resolved and they just have to have those follow-up checks? So it might be completely resolved in the moment with quotation marks, um, but this is a part of their medical history now. So they are at higher risk for type two diabetes in their lifestyle. And to be honest, like the diet that I talk about with women when they're in their pregnancy for balancing blood sugars, this is essentially a healthy diet that I would say to anyone. I mean, we can all men, female of all ages, we could all benefit from balanced blood sugars. Um, so this focus on lots of vegetables, your proteins, moderate to small portions of carbohydrates and moderating, not eliminating, you know, added sugars and sweets and stuff. This is something I would encourage all of us to try to adapt for the most part. So while yes, mamas are thrilled once baby is here, they order that giant bagel or the big thing of pasta, go for it, like have, have at it. But then like, as we said, you're at a higher risk. So try to resume a lot of these principles as best you can, you know, in the years to come. And do you recommend that they follow up with you as well after the birth? Um, I, at my practice at the OB office, I do meet with women, um, before they meet with the doctor for their postpartum visit. So go over kind of postpartum healing nutrition. What are some foods to prioritize quick and easy meals and snacks to have on hand, especially if they're breastfeeding. And we'll talk about the glucose test. Um, privately I've worked with people anywhere from six months out from their pregnancy to a year out from their pregnancy, because they still might be struggling with things. A common thing I'll find, especially with the gestational diabetes women is kind of food restrictions and fears that they had during their pregnancies. And then, you know, they're living their normal life, but thoughts creep back in of like, oh my gosh, I can't have fruit. It's not good because I had to limit it in my pregnancy. And they're so worried about that future risk of diabetes, let's say. So I've kind of worked with women many years postpartum to continue to improve their relationship with food, but still be mindful of balancing their blood sugars, but in a really gentle way. I love that. I think some of us, so much of us, like, especially in my generation grew up with just really unhealthy relationships with food and that can be really hard to overcome. Yeah. It's, it's perpetuated today. Diet culture is really strong, especially in the prenatal and postpartum world. Yeah. Yep. And then if you're having like a little bit of body dysmorphia or something else, like the changes that your body goes through during pregnancy can be really scary and triggering for a lot of women. Definitely. Yep. So if you um, are working with a parent, do you help them come up with like meal plans or do you just give them like suggested foods to eat? I, I imagine, like I said, it's all individual, but to a certain extent, is there like a certain um, outline that you follow? Yeah, it's, it's hard to give meal plans for sure. So a lot of the resources I provide are like a whole list of those snack ideas um, so that when they're racking their brains for what to have for a snack, here are like three, four dozen snack ideas. Um, I'm a foodie, so I love keeping my eye out for different products. So I have a whole list of like brand recommendations broken down by category. Um, if they need specific recipe ideas or meal ideas, then I'll do a little online searching and send them a few ideas for whatever meal they're struggling with. Um, I used to be much more into my blog and creating recipes. Um, I, I cook most of my meals at home. And so I'm naturally kind of creating recipes. I just don't have them written down, but I think that's something I want to get back to because you're right. So many people will ask me for 
actual recipes. And while I love promoting and supporting other bloggers, I feel like I have good ideas too. So I want to get back (laughs) into that for them too. And everybody loves a good food blog, especially with all the pictures. (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing. That's, that's a barrier for me. Let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Um, If there was one thing that you wanted parents to know, what would it be? I think one thing I would want them to know if they're, if they find themselves in this spot, if themselves or their spouse, whoever's listening to this, if they find themselves diagnosed with gestational diabetes is to not jump to conclusions when you hear this diagnosis, you know, it's really easy to just go towards restriction and think that everything you're doing is wrong. But I promise you, there's probably a lot of things that you're doing that are really, really right. Good for yourself. Good for baby. Um, So trust in your team, trust in your nutrition and just take it day by day, reading by reading. Don't, don't overstress or overthink it. I love that. Do you find that a lot of parents self-blame when they get that diagnosis? 100%. 100%. It's they, um, everyone thinks diabetes is a food related condition, right? So if they mm-hmm. spent their first trimester just eating cereal and pasta, cause that's all they could tolerate. Of course they think that they caused it. Um, but truthfully diet is not even on the list of risk factors. So we, we definitely do a lot of work around breaking down that, that stigma and blame part. Is there like a genetic component to gestational diabetes? Like does it run in families? Uh, can be genetic. Uh, so if your mom had gestational diabetes or if a parent or grandparent has type two diabetes, um, all those other risk factors, such as your age, being of an older age, your race and ethnicity. Um, if you have a history, um, personal history of polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, those are really the big things that are driving this. And then just by having a placenta, anyone's at risk kind of. Do you find that there's like fear mongering around this diagnosis, um, at least where you're at? Like, do you find like C-sections are being pushed because your baby might be too big or anything like that? Not necessarily. That concern comes up a lot, um, but I will always talk my clients through that and be like, look, we have to look at all the data. We have to look at the complete picture. It's not just about... um, you know, the, the size of the baby, maybe you just are genetically going to have larger babies. Let's look at what your blood sugar control looks like too. Let's look at your diet. Um, so Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's fear mongering. It's maybe it's a concern from doctors and and midwives, you know, about the health of mom, the health of the baby during the delivery. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be someone's fate that they're going to have an induction or they're going to have a C-section necessarily. Right. Do you find that like, do you, or do you know that what the rates are? Like, are the rates of gestational diabetes going up or staying the same or going down? I just saw in a news brief recently that over COVID rates of gestational diabetes have actually gone up. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at where that was reported and where they got the statistics from. Funnily enough, when I started working at this job right before COVID in kind of September of 2019, Uh, my roster, my list of patients was like a hundred plus. I had so many women that I was Um, helping to manage. And right now it's like half that, which is really interesting. Um, And it stayed that way kind of all through COVID. So it's tough to say. Yeah. There's so much of it. We don't know, like the effects of just being in a pandemic too, on your body when you're pregnant, like that's definitely going to be stressful and can cause all sorts of things to happen. I worried about that constantly when I was pregnant, the pandemic, all my stress, I was like, oh no, I'm like channeling it to her. How old is your baby? 
she is almost 15 months. Okay. So almost not a baby anymore. Yeah, I know. Well, she doesn't feel like it anymore now that she discovered walking like a week ago. So ah. it's very fun. <laughs> yep. So you're going to be getting some steps in chasing her. Around. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's lots of good movement. Well, this has been like really informative. And I think, you know, every, there's a lot of moms and parents out in least in my area with gestational diabetes, but I feel like it's not talked about a lot. And I don't know if there's like a, like you said, like an inner sense of shame or guilt where they don't, um, where they blame themselves. So they don't want to talk about it, but I think it's really important. And I love, like, I, I wish that every, like I said, OB practice would have nutritionists because I remember going in my pregnancy and I had, um, depression and I gained a lot of weight and the doctor was just like, well, you shouldn't be eating McDonald's every day, which I wasn't even doing what I don't, I don't, I was eating healthy foods. I was just eating a lot of healthy foods. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, when they have like 15 minutes to talk to you, they can't really get into the nitty gritty details of diet and nutrition. It's a lot of assumptions. It's a lot of just like, Oh, so, so that's happening, but are you taking your prenatal? You should be good. And it's, it's not that simple. Um, yeah, I wish I have a lot of, I get a lot of interns, um, who are going to become registered dietitians and there are more and more people are asking to come intern with me. So it's a growing interest in nutrition schools at least. So hopefully that means that more people will be carving this out as a niche for themselves, either privately, or they'll be partnering more with OBs and doctors. So I hope so. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Yes. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you if they like to connect with you? You do one-on-one consults, you said, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I do. Yep. So you can go to my website, which is caseysidenutrition.com. Um, there you'll see kind of the offerings I have. I do one-on-one consults, either you know one-time visits or I offer some package deals, depending on what kind of support you feel like you need. I have a resource, um, my eat well with gestational diabetes resource suite, which is a lot of the actionable tools, um, and tip sheets that I kind of spoke about. Um, you can purchase that on my website and then I'm on Instagram doing, you know, posts and providing education and support full free over there. Um, my handle is eat.well.together. You've got a pretty big account too. Started out big from when I, when I was doing, a different thing on Instagram. And then I pivoted uh, mm. mid pandemic when I kind of had this job and was pregnant myself to focus on that because it became my passion project. So mm. yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes so people can find you and keep doing the good work. Awesome. You too. I'm so glad we got to connect. This has been really great. Have a good night. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.